Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Picture Skiing Podcast. On today's episode, you're going to hear from Gord Brown. Gord Brown is ex-Canadian national team coach of the Alpine team. And I've had the pleasure of being coached by Gord and working alongside him when I was in Canada several years ago. Now, something that struck me from the very first day was Gord's charisma and his ability to really read someone read a whole group and create an environment that just made everybody love skiing more and just ski better and i think this is like a magical quality if you can do this as an instructor or a coach you'll have work for the rest of your life you'll have a following for the rest of your life and you'll just feel great about yourself because you are helping others enjoy one of the best sports in the world So I wanted to get Gord Brown on because I hope some of his charisma and his experience and knowledge comes across and you gleam some great insights, whether it's around psychology and what you're thinking about on the hill, the importance of keeping your ski gear really well-tuned and how Gord really puts that at the top, the first thing that must be done, and just his thoughts on what good skiing is. So I'm going to leave uh, the rest to the conversation with Gordon myself. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you at the end. Okay, Gord Brown, it's great to catch up with you again. Now, I was lucky enough to ski with you when I was working with Heather, and so I, I had the privilege of working with someone that is at pretty much the highest point, I'd think, in terms of being a ski coach, and I will forever remember those three days we had just uh for a number of reasons one i was truly inspired by what a world-class coach does within three days and how how much positivity but also just great direction was given to the group over those those three days so i'll remember that inspired by you as a coach i felt my skiing got better I felt everyone else's skiing got better and I really liked the different uh, focus that came from your racing background coaching as opposed to a lot of training I've had, which is a, a ski instructing training background focus. And so that was refreshing and I took a lot away from that. Now, for those who don't know, would you say a little bit about who you are and a bit of your experience and, and history in the ski world. Well, thanks, Tom, and thanks for having me on to your podcast. And I think, um, you know, congratulations on what you're doing these days, because uh, as we just came through that pandemic COVID for the last two years, you've actually done some excellent innovative training using video and like it's really good. And I'll remember those three days too, because you're an excellent skier, Tom, and I really enjoyed meeting and skiing with you. <clears throat> but just a little bit of background on me. I was, uh, you know, I, I started at uh, the age of 16 skiing, but I had, uh, you know, multi-sport involvement before that. So I just put a pair of skis on and I went skiing. And, uh, it was the first time I ever went down. I went down the hill and I've been skiing ever since. So after the first year of skiing you know like I went through my instructor levels and you know by the age of 21 I had a level four ski instructor from the alliance the Canadian Ski Instructors Alliance and you know I I really really enjoyed skiing and uh, I thought well the the instructor side of of things is a really good entry point and uh, I, I thought there was more than interested me in the coaching side of things because I, I saw some video on World Cup skier and I said well that that's that's what I want to do I, I want to coach I want to coach there and um, yeah I worked myself all the way up and it uh, it was kind of a nice career for me and so what year did you get your level four well, what year? That was probably about 1973. I'm not sure if that's before your time or not, Tom. It is. <laughs> that oh was 10 God. years before I was born. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> and, and where did and, you get that? Where were you teaching? Uh, 
I was teaching at uh, in the Okanagan here at Big White, and uh, I worked for a fellow named Brian James, and he was just one of my mentors, just a terrific guy, and he still we still ski together and. Norm Creer, they're up at Silver Star, and they're terrific guys. They've been Canadian Ski Instructors Alliance for a long time, and uh, they were demo team members, and they really led the way in <clears throat> ski teaching for a long time. And uh, uh, they, they were they were excellent guys, excellent mentors. Now, when you went into the, so you saw these World Cup races. And you said, that's what I want to do. When did you first start dealing with athletes at that national level? When, how far into the, into the career, like where were you then? Did you go to a different ski resort uh, after 73? Like when was the, when was this next step? Well, a, a part of that, um, when I have a twin brother, Grant, and uh, we were both taking our level four, um, certification at Sunshine Village and uh, one of the ski team coaches was there and they were looking for a couple of uh, support staff and assistants and they said hey would you guys be interested in coming on and we said yeah sure that, that would be really good so our first year in 1973 was on the uh, Can-Am team uh, form you know like it moved into the Nor-Am circuit but uh, when we first started, it was called the Can-Am, and that was a Canada-America race series that um, we had all our big guns there, but there were only 16. There was Steve Podborski, Ken Reed, you know, um, Gord Acton, Rob Sofrata. They were, they were terrific guys, and that's how I first started. And, and going through the, our first season, <clears throat> I thought, well, I'm okay as a support guy, but I really don't know enough about the sport. And uh, that's when I decided to go uh, and work as a club coach. And then I worked as a division coach and then provincial. And, and I worked myself all the way up. <clears throat> that took me about four or five years. And then um, a great friend of mine, John Ritchie, he was the head coach of the Canadian ski team, men's team, and he saw me at a Canadian championships with my team, and he said, hey, would you be interested in working for us? And I went, I would. <laughs> and so you, you get to this point. What would you say are maybe a couple of key lessons you've learned along the way as a coach that's, that's making you become successful or helping your athletes become successful as you transition to now getting to the really elite level? Well, I, I think um, at, at the, when I, I was inexperienced, I was just acting in a supporting role. And um, I had some really good mentors, especially John and uh, another fellow I worked with, Jürgen Feller. He ran the tech team for uh, the, the Canadian men's team. And, you know, like, it's just, uh, if you don't know what you're doing, you have to get educated or you have to get more experience because you certainly don't want to interfere with an athletic career. Yeah, so, I mean, did you, did you have any mistakes like that or that you sort of maybe harsh lessons? Well, where, where you saw uh, the power, I guess, of what you as a coach can do and influence over an athlete? Well, I, I didn't, I, we always treated the guys fairly and we gave them a lot of uh, values. And, and that's what I think I really brought to our team guy, even though that I was inexperienced coach and all the team guys really remember those valuable lessons, but um, the, I didn't make mistakes by hurting an athlete or anything like that. But uh, I'll tell you one experience that I learned my lesson on and we were over at a Europa Cup, and I was setting a warm-up course for our guys. And we had this phenom who first started clearing with the breakaway gates. His name was Robert Zoller. And I had set a warm-up course, and I owed this Austrian coach one because he had let me train with him 
on this one race. And I said, okay, well, you guys can run our warm-up course. And this Robert Zoller guy came down and he shinned and boot topped the whole slalom course. So there was no gates left. And like, I, I was going like, whoa, I've never seen anything like that. And then Ingemar's coach came over to me and he said, oh, welcome to World Cup. <laughs> I still remember that lesson. <laughs> right. So that was, it's like, this is the next league. Yeah. People, people are taking a way more direct line. <clears throat> well, we, we had a, uh, a technology really changed a lot when we were with the ski team and uh, there was new innovations all the time. And, uh, but especially with the new gates, the hinge gates, they were trying different plastics and different hinges and they had different bases. And, and that was just one of those uh, prototype uh, bundles of gates that we had that uh, I sat and this guy took them all out. Like, like he cleaned the whole thing. And I'm going, well, I've never seen a guy run that line before. So that was, <laughs> that was a real lesson for me. Okay. Okay. And then out of that, that team that you were sort of working with, so you were working with, I know of Podborski and Ken, Ken Reed and, his son is now racing. Is that, isn't that correct? Uh, Ken Eric? and Linda Reed have uh, three sons. Two are on the ski team. Eric, he's uh, on our um, GS and Solom team. And uh, Jeff, he's on the uh, speed, speed, he's with the speed group. And they are terrific athletes and they're, they're terrific guys, but it's almost like if you want um, if you want to make an athlete these days very successful, well, you got to select your parents, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and, what did and, you see? And you go ahead. Yeah, and if you um, if you have one of the parents that's talented, well, that works as well. But if you have two, you know, like Kenny Reed and Linda, they were both ski team athletes, and yeah, they, it's in the genes, you know. Yeah. If you want to have a successful athlete, you know, you want to make somebody like that. Well, it, it really helps if one of the uh, one of the parents is pretty athletic or skilled. You know, that helps a lot. Sure. Yeah. And what did what do you remember about uh, Podborski and Ken Reed back in the day when you you know you're now getting to stand right next to them on the course and and see them up front? Because I mean, I think there's a big difference when you watch things on television and video compared to real life and so what would you say like I mean is it the speed is it the precision what what stood out to you well it, like um back then when we were trying to field a really competitive team um uh, Scott Henderson he, he took our skilled athletes and at that time they were Breed and Podborski and Dave Murray and Irwin, but they were all our tech guys. They they were they were really good in giant slalom. Uh, Kenny Reed was a good slalom skier, and uh, Podborski was he, he was a GS champion. I mean, he he raced against the Mare Twins, and and he was very competitive with those guys. And they went on to have unbelievable careers on the tech side. But then uh, our our chiefs that they just said uh, we're going to go we're going to run some downhill and make our downhill team the best we can and it was a really good choice but the technical background from these guys like Reed and Pod that it, uh, it, it proved to be very successful it was a really successful ingredient. Hmm. Now uh, humor me for a second here P pretend I was good enough to get on your your national team. So I've worked my way up. I'm, I'm, I'm working in my racing and I have a shot at this at a national team. What would I expect to happen in terms of maybe the physical training, uh, the kind of coaching I would get? What, like, is there much of a difference? What, what would you say I would expect if that happened? Well, if somebody that's quite skilled like yourself coming on to the team, they would have had gone through a progression all the way up, like provincials, uh, NORAM, Europa Cup, 
all the way up. So it's not such a big shock to get on that World Cup circuit because as soon as you go up there, you you not only get your ass kicked, but like you get an eye opened because those athletes, they are really, really strong and they're really, really skilled. So the first thing that we do is <clears throat> we probably give you a strength and conditioning program just to make you more trainable so we could train you longer. Okay. And, and that's, that's probably the first thing that we do. And then you get a nutritionist and a, you, you go for the whole ancillary capacities to make you a better athlete and more skilled and stronger and just more aware of what's going on. I remember when you, I think you even said when you had the, the ladies team, the first thing you did was you dropped the center of mass. Well, do you uh, want to explain uh, explain that? Yeah, for it's it's different. It's different with the skiers now. But when we were uh, working with the girls and the guys, our, our our dry land guys, our physical strength trainers, that they would want to drop the center of mass uh, in both the men and the women, just because of mass over time. If you're going to drop the center of mass, you're going to be, you know, like stronger and plus you're going to develop more mass. So one of our guys, uh, Istvan Baya, he was a, a great guy. And uh, he just said to the guys, like, when you're skiing, if you're going up the lift, I want you eating all the time. So just keep eating. <laughs> it was kind of a neat thing, you know, like guys just start putting on mass, you know, and uh then we, you know, like improve the strength. So they build, uh, build the whole strength program. So they gain weight and they gain muscle. Yeah. Okay. And and do you think so? Sort of with body sticking with the body. I mean, I think there are obviously people that are born, like you said, genetically more likely to ski well. Do you think there are certain attributes building the perfect skier? Like say I don't know the proportion of limbs or even the the shape of the foot or anything like like where bigger legs than upper body, bigger upper body than legs. Are there any things you kind of saw? And of course there are outliers, but are any any things in those parameters that you you you've seen with your experience? <clears throat> well, when currently technology is unbelievable, <clears throat> like the the boots the skis, the technology that just goes into that. I mean, it's just an unbelievable playing field for everybody and with the uh, injected snow. So it, it's a little bit, it's, it's more uh, fair for everybody. <clears throat> but when we were doing it, when what we learned is uh, we thought we'd, um, you know, all, all of a sudden have this stereotype athlete that's either gonna be a GS, a slalom person or a speed person. and nowadays that's not the fact anymore because you're going to get slalom swiss skiers that are six seven yeah and, and they're they're winners and then you get a guy like hersher who used to uh, win everything but he was a smaller guy like uh, five eight five nine and he was a little bit uh you know smaller in that reason but uh he didn't really run speed events he just ran uh the gs and slalom stuff because he was a slight guy but Wow, pound for pound, he was probably one of the strongest guys in the circuit. And and same with the gals, you know, like uh, when we were when our team was competing back then, the, the bigger girls would win more than the slighter girls in speed, you know, downhill and super G. And then the slighter girls, they'd be better in tech, you know, like Solomon Giant. But um, now it it doesn't matter. You can. You can win four events, uh, you can train four events, and you can be like this. It doesn't matter your shape. It doesn't matter the shape. Yeah. I, I, think, you, I think that must be it, isn't it? Like technology and the, the ability to customize and fine-tune things to make it work for your type has just leveled the playing field a bit, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It really yeah. Does. <laughs> but our so, guys, um, you know, like when they were racing against... Um, the European guys back, you know, in the 
in the late seventies, early eighties, you know, like uh, our team, like our downhill team, they won, you know, we won Kitzbühel four years in a row, which is just unbelievable. That was uh, Kenny Reed who started that and then Pod Borsky went back to back and then Brooker won. And like, that was just fantastic to beat the Europeans in their own backyard. And they're going, who in the heck are these crazy Canuck guys? I mean, like th that was fantastic. Do you, can you get like, is there anything you remember from the type of training or, you know, what, is there anything you can say about that? What was part of that success? Well, you know, like um, John Ritchie, our, our head coach, he just, you know, like he said, look, when we're training, when you get these training run guys, you know, like, uh, you know, we want to go down there and be really competitive and try not to, you know, like uh, just go through a section and uh, say, you know, like, uh, like I, I wasn't very good there. You know, like try and do a really good job the whole way down and run your line, you know, so it gives you a really good uh, idea of how that course is going to run. And some of our guys, like they went full blast and I think Serge Lang, he coined the phrase, oh, wow, these Canadian guys, they're crazy, you know, the crazy Canucks. And that was where that phrase was going, you know, like, because our guys, they trained the way they race. And that was, that was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nice. So just sort of putting a little bit on the line, really, which is yeah. where that name came from. Well, and, yeah, then, cool. and then you can look back at it and you look back and you do some research, and you know, like perfect practice, okay, makes perfect. And, and that's where our guys, they did a really good job because they, they practiced the way they, they raised and um, yeah, they set the bar. Hey, how is your, how is your own personal skiing going this, this season? I think you'd, you've, you've, you're trying out some, different skis is that right well, I, like i i ski um I, i've almost skied um 69 70 days now and i think um you know this season we haven't had the snow volume that we usually get at silver star it's been really hard deck skiing you know like you have to do turn tune the skis every night and, and i i feel really good about skiing but we've gone from uh you know, a very narrow underfoot ski that's a carver, you know, to like an all mountain ski that's like about 85, 86 underfoot. And then you go to like, uh, you know, the 90 centimeters or millimeters and you go, um, you know, like up to a hundred and you almost kind of ski it the same way, but you're just not getting the same activation out of the ski. And, uh, I think some of the people that are out there skiing on the really wide skis, it's the knee has to work so much more than the narrower skis. But then when you get a, you know, like the nice fresh snow, it, it's uh, it's a little bit more to, uh, it's conducive to better skiing if you're on a wider, wider ski underfoot. But the mechanics are very similar. What, what, ski, are you, what ski have you enjoyed uh, this season? <clears throat> well, for those I, harder days, those yeah, those snow. harder days at uh, Dynastar uh, Master Slalom. It's about a one seventy three, you know, seventy two, uh, sixty eight underfoot. Just a really terrific ski. And then uh, the Fisher uh, Curve is a great ski for that. I, I ski on that as well. But um, when it's really hard, uh, the, the Fisher seems to hold on and grip a little bit better. But it's extremely active and it wears you out after a couple hours. But uh, yeah, I, I just I, I I had a pair of the, the Fisher CT 175s. Yeah. I just got those recently. Holy cow. I was t I was a lot yeah. more tired from those skis after the first day. I mean, I had just gotten on a, off an airplane, but I could I could feel the difference. But on the positive I didn't feel like I ever was even really close to pushing the, the limit on those things. Um, if, if anything, it was just the very narrow 66 underfoot and I don't have plates on my boots. And so I just, I had to be really careful about the mm. level of inclination, the edge angle, because um, especially when in Utah, the snow is a little bit softer. So, yeah. but yeah, man, those things were, I mean, yeah, I was, 
I was working, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I must say it was the first time I'd been on a, a non-tip rocket sort of medium radius ski in a while. And I liked, I liked the camber. Mm. I liked the feeling of the whole, the, the, just further up on, on the tip, um, just giving me feedback. Well, like the, the skis that uh, you and I are skiing on nowadays, if our giant slalom and slalom guys back in the 80s had a pair of those, well, we would have won everything. <laughs> and, and that um, that brings me to a memory that we were up against a guy named Ingemar Stenmark. And what stood out to me the most is you could hear the difference on the hill when he came down. Like all the other guys, you know, like Benzel and uh, the big guys, you know, they all came down and there would be a little bit of a chatter going on. And uh, Engabar would come down and you couldn't hear the skis work. He was so clean. And we were going, what the heck is that guy on? Like, he's unbelievable. And he would win sometimes by three seconds. Wow. Yeah. And was he on the same equipment? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I used to go into the wax room with him and his tech was quite secretive. Uh, he skied on Elan and uh, Elan had the first patent on side cut. So I am sure that his skis had some sort of a side cut differential than anybody else because you know, like sometimes on that World Cup snow, you could you could hear and see the chatter, you know, and when he came down, you couldn't hear anything. And it was pure carve, and he was on the straights. And like we, like because I've, I've heard that too. I've heard that we couldn't believe it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's not not proof or anything, but I heard that he was probably on some kind of slightly shaped ski, or people were. Yeah. But yeah. I, it wasn't a shape ski, but it, it had, I would say, just the first, the, the first start of a little bit of side cut uh, on the skis. You know? Yeah. But, but those skis that our guys were on, you know, like they, 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 they don't even, they didn't have a chance. Yeah. You know? And, and yeah. same with our downhill guys, that the, the Austrians would get the first pick of the skis out of the factory until our guys, you know, got at least a chance to get a little bit better ski. And then we started winning and then that changed the whole paradigm. Yeah. I was speaking with Eric Schlopey about his career and playing with equipment the other week and, and just how fine tuned these people get with like millimeters forward or back in the binding, uh, different plates and different bindings made of different materials and, just changing the binding, not placement, but even just the type or brand of binding was faster by like half a second. Like that, that's crazy. Were you guys doing that sort of level of tinkering? Oh yeah. Like um, we, we would, <clears throat> we would be in the wax room quite a bit. Uh, the, the tech guys, they were just amazing. That If you're looking for a hundredth of a second, I mean, you go to those guys to, to see where they can find it. And they usually did. But, um, I, I, you know, for the female athletes, we would kind of move them a little bit ahead of center, you know, like half centimeter or sometimes a centimeter ahead and then put a little bit of a, a ramp angle on, on uh, in their boots just because of the different uh, morphology with the female athlete. Some needed a little bit of lift and some didn't. Uh, the, the guys with their equipment, they're very particular, but... Uh, Boy, you, when you're competing with those guys that run GSS Alm, they are so strong; it's unbelievable. So they've got they've got um, different flexes in their boots, and they've got different plates on their skis, so they can just handle the loading that comes into those turns. Because, wow, it is it, the injected snow is just it is so demanding. Uh, like it, you know, like if we well we would ski down 
we wouldn't we wouldn't look very good though <laughs> yeah i don't uh, yeah do do you remember the first time you skied on a proper injected course yeah and, and yeah just, it was high slipping down and i couldn't stop <laughs> <laughs> like, like and we were going what the heck is this oh my gosh and this is like an ice rink and they just tipped it up you know to about maybe a 15 to 30 degree angle and we're going i don't know and and then that's the way that that's the way that we really discovered you know how the ski works on the snow if that ski goes sideways you don't have a chance if you're serious about stepping up your skiing skills listen up i've been working closely with the carve team for over four years and they've just unveiled a groundbreaking feature active coaching mode and here's the lowdown launch it at the top of your run and go through a quick calibration with 10 turns and it sets a baseline just below your current skill level from there, every turn is a challenge, adapting on the fly to your skill, terrain, and conditions. No fluff, just a gamified experience pushing you to ski better every turn. It does this by using a super thin insole lined with small pressure sensors and motion detectors. It's like having a personal coach analyzing your every move. And here's the sweet part. If you hit a hot streak with excellent form and you're in for double or triple points, it's addictive, rewarding. Like I said, it's a very gamified experience and it transforms every run into a step towards better skiing. If you're intrigued, and you should be, check out Carve and dive into active coaching mode. Just Google Get Carve to find out more, and as a bonus, enter code GELLY15 to take 15% off. It's amazing. I've heard from the Carve team that now nearly over a third of the users are using active coaching mode when they go out and ski with it. So why not give it a try yourself? Uh, but if it's carving, if it's working down the hill, you know, with gravity and the fall line, then it'll work and it'll hold. And, and that's why the ski is designed. But if it's going across the hill, it, it, uh, it'll backfire, it'll bounce, it'll kind of chatter a little bit. But I mean, any ski is going to do that. But if it's going down the hill, yeah, you can mostly carve on uh, anything that they, they make. And, and I mean, I think some people perhaps don't realize you know you might even buy from the store like the 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 regular race tiger or like the the rosignol uh race ski or something that ski won't doesn't even matter if it's sharp that won't hold on an injected slope will it there's there's like more material there's plates it's the boot the stiffness and the strength of like there's a lot of elements aren't there that that will yeah. allow you for a start to actually just hold on on injected snow. Is that right? Yeah, th those those skis that they're making for the the better athletes, like the females and the males, like like they'd they'd give you a workout because they'd they'd be stiffer. There's a little more rebound, and they'll hold on that stuff. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the guys go more than four degrees on that, uh, on the sharpness of the angle, but uh, certainly three for sure. Mm -hmm. And then um, on the speed side of things, you know, they're probably going two and threes, you know, to hold but on. You know, I mean, you must get that when people say like, how do you ski on ice? Yeah. It's, oh yeah. The first thing is, is equipment, isn't it? Like really, like you got yeah. no chance if you don't. I, I remember the first time I tried a proper work, like, I don't know, not not World Cup ski, but more of a a fist type slalom compared to my recreational one in Solden. And suddenly I wasn't like gritting my teeth and my toes clawing because the thing just bit. And part of it was the construction, and part of it was the, was the plate. Yeah, and that's um that's one of the things where you get uh, at that extremely high level, the sophistication of the equipment, like if you trust that ski, like you can ski pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but if you don't trust it, oh, the thing's going sideways on you and then it, no, it'll, it, it, does, it doesn't work. And you can see an athlete coming down running number 30 or 40 or whatever, if their equipment's proper for them. Because if they're, <clears throat> the, the way that they race now you know like everybody's got a chance and if the equipment's matched up with the skill level of the athlete well then you know like some of these guys are coming down you know number 39 and 42 our guys they won at kitville norway like a couple of weeks ago 
running at yeah. that uh, back of the pack there. I mean, that's yeah. just that, that's terrific skiing, you know. And yeah, it's it's great to see. Yeah, no, it is. Hey, God, if you're because you have a lot of experience coaching, not only you know high end athletes, but just just people, you know, in the public as well. Are there are there one, two, maybe even three things that you keep sort of having to repeat or you keep seeing as as a as a problem with these people, whether it be technical equipment or psychological? Well, I don't, like there's a lot of um, traits that we take into our clients' free skiing and skill development now that we we've had uh, you know in the racing circuit. The, the first thing that I do is just make sure that equipment is uh, is functioning properly and the skis are really tuned nicely. You know, like they're waxed so they glide well and they're sharp so it runs on the snow well. And if the boots are flexible, they're comfortable, they're warm and uh, make sure that the person has a really good experience with equipment. Because there's so many people that are skiing nowadays <clears throat> that have maybe waxed their skis once a year. Yeah. And like, if you look at the equipment now, if everybody has a chance to ski on good equipment, they will have a much better experience. Then the next thing <clears throat> that we do is we put them on the right terrain. So that it's a really positive learning and experience uh, and an environment rather than skiing a really difficult terrain with poor equipment, you can make anybody look terrible. <clears throat> so, you know, we, we kind of set them up for success and I, the mechanics are one thing, but you know, the tactics, the turn shape and the line are another thing. And you can get somebody going north, south on a slope, you know, down the hill versus east, west better, okay? And then you'd make a better progression out of it. If you want somebody to go across the hill, well, it's like, standing on a world cup hill trying to make the ski work when it's going sideways it won't work but if you lengthen the arc and if you ski with gravity i think everybody's a little bit more successful uh do you know i think that's from my trip to canada that was one of my biggest takeaways or maybe biggest feelings that i finally felt was was every turn i was just thinking like let gravity have me and go go down like down towards the snow and down toward like down the hill and that would help my skis track and that would let them do what they're designed to do and and it's a different thought process because i think a lot of people get there and they go wow like i'm facing down the hill this is not going to go well but if you trust that moment things do come across yeah. the hill yeah on their own it's That's when right. you try and get across the hill and uh, like first instead of as a result. Is, is that kind of what, you, that's what you're getting at there? Well, and that's exactly, exactly right because everybody wants to go across the hill to slow down. But if you have the right terrain, they, they can, they can be, feel comfortable going down the hill and then you're way more successful. And you've seen that little grandson of ours, you know, he's three and like he's carving already, you know. And mm. I haven't really told him what to do yet, except what color gummy bear he wants on the lift. But I get him to go <laughs> down the hill and turn versus going across. And he, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's very good. He's very good. I, I've not seen someone that young with, I don't know how to describe it. He's, he is, uh, I think now you say that, I think the terrain you must have just always put him in terrain where he is just loving the down the hill feeling yeah and that feeling of that ski turning turning but going down the hill yeah. because he, he he's really working it like he's he's moving yeah. up and down and side to side and really like pumping yeah, well, the ski and what we have a thing you know you go you go as as fast as you can with the kids in a slow zone because you know then, then they want the speed so that's yeah that's where we've been skiing that guy <laughs> yeah that's amazing that's yeah. amazing and, then the, and, and you know with the environment with the kids you know like every time we go out skiing 
we want to make it as fun and enjoyable as we can for them. Otherwise, you know, they, you know, that it, it's all, it's always the, you know, the extrinsic motivation. You got to go skiing, but uh, nowadays it's that they want to go. So that's the, we're on the right track. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think that, I mean, that's lucky. Sometimes that's not easy, is it? Because if you're far from a ski hill, it's a, usually you need to go up there for the whole day, but with the youngsters, like, like I feel fortunate when we were in Canada, cause we could go out with Archie for half an hour. Yeah. And that was it. It was done. Whether it was the morning or the afternoon done. And then as we got to the end of our 23 days, he was pretty much lasting almost the whole day, but we, we just gradually were able to build, build up to that. But I can imagine that's pretty hard for, for other people but, you know, I guess if you, you've got to think long-term, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Is it just today you're trying to get through or, or do you want them to love it all their life? <clears throat> but it's, it's, uh, it, it's very similar to what you're doing with your um, big picture skiing. You know, like you're providing a service with your experience for people and you're, you're getting the skill development done in a much shorter time frame than skiing for years and years doing the same old thing. So it's the same sort of thing. Boy, if you're with the right person and you know what to do, then you can get a tremendous training effect in like three or four days or a couple hours or whatever. But uh, being with the right person, I think is key. Mm. Now, what are you, thanks for that. What are, what are you working on? You know, you you never would not be thinking about your skiing. Is I mean, I'm sure a good day you're just loving it. But if you're out there, what have what have you been thinking about? Uh, is it just the going to going with gravity, going down the hill? Are there other things you've been uh, working on, God? Uh, well, that's a, that's an interesting question, and I want to ski for as long as I can. And, uh, you know, I'm in my early 70s now, and uh, I ski quite a lot. I've never been injured ever skiing. And when I'm skiing, I ski with my beautiful wife, and we just have a ball. And uh, every time I go out with her, I make sure that she's well looked after, sir. So her equipment is really, really good. And she's got the best looking outfit on the hill. And then I try and keep up to her, <clears throat> but <laughs> what I'm working on is uh, using, you know, using gravity more <clears throat> and like uh, activating the ski at the right time. And if I'm coming into the arc or down the hill with gravity, it's a lot easier to work the ski. I'm coming in <clears throat> to the arc really, really well balanced and aligned. So all the joints and the bones are well on top of each other, almost like a mini super G turn, Tom. And then activating the ski and then letting the ski go across the hill in a gliding rebound phase versus working it. So I'm just trying to make the, the arc in the right spot get a little bit of deflection at the end of the arc. So I go across the hill and then way more gliding with the, uh, with the skiing now uh, versus working. Mm. And that, I mean, that's pretty awesome. You're still refining and thinking about that as your one thing now. And, and you know, it'll probably be the same as long as you keep, keep skiing, I'd imagine, because you've got to keep looking for it. What it makes me think of is uh, my co-coach, Sam Robertson, he, he raced world championship super G for Australia and he he's retired um, five years ago or so, but he's going back and he's doing some training with some, one of the Australian athletes and a couple of other guys who are racing world cup. And he sent me some video and we were, he, were, he was like, you know what, some things are good. I feel like I'm aligning myself better but I don't feel like I'm reading the terrain as well. And when he showed the, the comparison of him and another guy, Martin, who's, uh, who's actually placed in top 30 a few times this last season, he, he just looked like when the terrain dropped, the, this current Martin was, was dropping with it. He was ready to drop with it. And Sam, it took him off guard. And so you could see 
postural changes because he basically just didn't have he gravity wasn't taking him down on the snow and and move him so i mean i think that's i think that's like i see that a lot i don't think people really look at terrain they're not reading terrain what do you do you have any comments around that and coaching that well like the terrain is um you know where we ski we've got uh single black diamonds and double blacks sometimes the single blacks are groomed to perfection and you really have to watch where you're uh, carving the ski uh, versus gliding it or manipulating so it's a little bit of a redirect or sliding in the top part of the turn <clears throat> excuse me but what you'll find is on those very steep hills if you start carving right away well, you're going way too fast and you're putting way too much loading on all your joints. So it's gonna to be too much. It's like you're just waiting for something to happen. <clears throat> so what we do is, you know, just redirect the top part of the arc. It's almost like what the girls and the guys are doing in Giant Solemn now. And like if there's not enough room to carve those longer GS skis, you have to redirect it. So you kind of smear it or steer it or pivot it or, or just break the arc and you get the skis lined up for the fall line and then, then, then you can work it. But um, <clears throat> some of these black diamond hills, holy wow, they're just, uh, I mean, you skied at Silverstone, you know, you can get going after the first two or three turns if you're arcing. Oh yeah. <clears throat> you gotta, you gotta control the speed and kind of slow it down a little bit. So we kind of break the arc at the top and then carve the bottom and keep doing that and it's uh and it, it works pretty good otherwise you get going too fast <laughs> yeah but even within those those like black runs like say holy smokes there are a whole lot of different pitch changes there that i think is actually if you put your awareness on those changes so then when there is a change you're ready for it you maybe brush a little more uh you you mm -hmm. really let yourself after that move down with the the steeper sort of fall line part of it like i guess that's what i'm i'm commenting on on i think some people don't put their focus on and this i mean I, i'd imagine that's the key to, to to downhill there's all these little changes that if you can read and you can move with you're you're going to be continually keeping your speed up and well staying I, I on think, the snow i think these days tom it just for safer, safer skiing, what we have to do is teach our clients and people when to break the arc and slow the ski down and then when to speed it up. And if you're on some of these groomed blue and green runs, I mean, if you can speed up that uh, turn and the arc all the way down and stay ahead of everybody, it's almost safer skiing because nobody's going to hit you from behind or from the side. On some of the steeper pitches or breakovers, you want to make sure that ski's coming in. And sometimes you got to break the arc and slow it down and then speed it up after you get over. But what we try and do is I try and teach our kids to be really aware when you're skiing. So you're not thinking about technique or mechanics. You're thinking about the environment and you're in a really broad external state. So you're skiing safe. And you can kind of read the play all the time. Sometimes I think we get so drawn up and so narrow focused when we ski. We're always thinking about what our skiing, and then we forget to see the forest for the trees. So I think when we're skiing, uh, our people can ski better when they're very broad external. So they're, they're using their peripheral vision, skiing the proper way, not going across the hill, going down, skiing. And, probably safer yeah, i do i do recall that being a real focus when we finished the those three days of training just making sure we all because yeah. we're all there thinking about you know old turn new arc old turn new edges and all that yeah. sort of stuff and then uh, um but yeah you've really i think it's important like you said to to make sure you really notice your environment be in your environment because it is I know that was my only focus when I was with Archie because I do not want him to be hit or, mm -hmm. you know, go in the wrong direction. So I'm 
yeah it's very different state of mind well when, when we're sure. skiing when you're skiing with your son or if i'm skiing with our grandsons or granddaughters like i'm i'm playing sweeper most of the time i don't want anybody yeah. running into those guys but uh i think the way felix and rowan are skiing now it'd be hard to catch them but <laughs> at least they <laughs> don't want to do they ski down not across yeah can, can you think of a, a story or an example from the the racing uh, coaching days where like a race was was won or or something was done really well because of an example where an athlete maybe was a tiny bit slower on the steep but that set them up to to come out with a win because the other people were you know too early trying to pressure it high and carve the whole thing mm. and yeah well uh when i was uh, with the team uh, i was there for a while and then i went um and i ran the canadian ski coaches federation for a long time and, and part of my job was to uh, uh you know like almost showcase the best skiers in the world at a certain levels you know so everybody could see what was out there and and now you you can do that by zoom or teleconferencing or like videos like but the equipment is so advanced now, it's just unbelievable. But back in the early 90s, what I did with, uh, with uh, Thomas Grandy, he was our best GS gear then. And he got an opportunity to, to train with the Swiss star that Michael von Gruenigen. And what I did, they were skiing on the glacier and I videoed both of them and then I overlaid it. And I was one of the first guys to ever do that. So you can really see where the guy accelerated the arc and where he decelerated the arc. And Bon Grunigan, every time he came into a GS, he would be ahead of Thomas. But then at the gate and underneath, Thomas would pass him. So they were back and forth on where to hit the ski and where to, you know, where to uh, activate it and where to manipulate it or slide it or or steer it and it was just a it was an amazing piece of footage that we saw where thomas would come in and we looked at it and he gained time and then he went back to back world cup wins i mean jesus like it was fantastic he won in elta Badia in 2004 and then the next week at flaco he won like back to back world cups Okay. In Canada, we call that a streak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was unreal. But so, uh, yeah. Like, would you describe, was, so would you describe then his skiing there? Would have you, yeah, in terms of like the, the top of the turn and, and end of the turn, do you think he had a, a very fast end of the turn? Do you think he was very good at like, yeah. How would you describe? Uh, that? He, he was, but <clears throat> what he was doing, he was, um, he was kind of developing the new line of Giant Solomon, and he would invest in the line at the top of the arc a little bit more than the other guys. The guys, other guys might have gone a little bit more direct, but he, he was a little bit rounder up there, and then when he came down the fall line, he would generate a little bit more speed. So we kind of use that these days, you know, when we're free skiing, you know, you invest in the line, you might go in into the turn a little bit slower, but you're going to come out faster versus the other way around. You might go in yes. faster, but you don't want to come out slower because everybody on the mountain will catch you versus going the other way around. And, yes. Uh, he, he, I remember the French guys standing beside us when they were watching their athletes trade and they just went, ah, that, that, that's the lie. You know? <laughs> I still remember that. <laughs> them commenting like that that grandi had yeah, had the line that's, that's it Th yeah. that was the line yeah. yeah i must admit you know not not having a whole lot of race coaching experience talking about the line and the terminology used at times uh like you know you saying you got to invest in the line and there are certain phrases and things that mm -hmm. like definitely go over the top of my head and like it must just take time to develop yeah. with with your athlete what you're trying to because it's difficult isn't it to express these things in words often isn't it 
Well, yeah, and you really have to know your athletes because, um, you know, some of the some of the guys and some of the girls they could run a little bit more of a direct line sometimes, and where the others can't, and they have to work from the side a little bit more, you know, just to generate that speed. So if you're cheating the line, going too straight, well, then you're going to pay the price if you if you haven't got that strength. But if you're coming in and investing in the line so it's a little bit rounder up top, but the ski's working, then you kind of be more consistent all the way down. And I think these days, especially for men's slalom, I mean, if you just break one turn while well, you're your 10th, you know, but if you clean the whole thing, well, then that usually means a victory. So you really have to work in relation to the gate with what you got. So some guys can run the whole thing, you know, like, pretty direct where other guys got to take a little bit more line beside the gate and a little bit more up top and yeah it, it it takes a while to know your guy you know yeah yes so uh, if we sort of come to the close of this podcast i'm interested in uh are there some so guys or girls this season you've enjoyed watching on the world cup and why Maybe it's maybe it's consistency or maybe it's excitement that they're maybe trying something different. Yeah, is there anything you've? Well, like um, it is. It's interesting with our girls' tech team. There's four girls there now that are they're ranked in the top thirty, and they're all within second a second and a half they're close to winning but there's four of them so that's a really nice team um and they're doing a really good job with them and and they're they're from the east those girls and they're doing a really good job it's nice to have a team uh some of the athletes you know on the speed side of things like Mary Michelle Gang, you know, she's just by herself. And sometimes when you're training by yourself, it's a little bit harder. That's, that was the same thing with uh, Thomas Grandy. He was by himself all the time. And we had to integrate him with, uh, you know, other teams. But um, then the guys, um, the guys, um, they've got a, a pretty good team. Uh, the, the speed guys are a little bit more from the West, you know, uh, for the last few years. They're from Whistler, North Van, and John Kuchera has done a really good job with those guys there. I mean, you know, like <clears throat> Cam Alexander, he started 39th or something like that, or, uh, you know, like at Kitfield and one. And then, you know, like uh, there's some guys that are getting silvers. Then we got a bronze in the combined, you know, like... Uh, Crawford there, Jack Crawford is just fantastic. You know, like we got a team again, you know? And I think that's uh, that, that's really gonna lead to more success for, for our guys. And then, then our para, you know, Paralympic team, they just came back with a whole bunch of medals. You, you know, you're, you're skiing for, for a long time. So I think just that if you can cultivate, you know, that kind of thing, with your skiing communities friends or whatever i think that's that's huge and then the other one i think i would say my takeaway again from this is uh well equipment i know that was a huge sort of turning point for me in just being more taking more pride in my own equipment the the tuning waxing uh just what i'm using and how how huge an effect that has on on my season and my day and so I hope people also, you know, take, take that away. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to, to emphasize or, or say to wrap this up. Yeah, I think, I th well, if I had anybody, I would do their equipment. I'd tune their skis first before I go. And if you want the skis to come underneath you, go across the hill, I'd tune them three degrees. And if you want them to go down the hill, I'd tune them two degrees on the side. And for sure, one on the side, you know, so it's easy to manipulate. And one on the base. Yeah, one on the one yep. on the base, and uh, yeah, and make sure they're waxed and brushed all the time so they really glide well, and uh, and that's really important stuff. But, like, like people shouldn't sort of jump in. People should. I think people sometimes are afraid that that's going to make them fast, 
but really it gives them the ability to, to steer without grabbing yeah. and, and, and deal with changing temperatures and, and not be thrown off balance, right? Yeah, and it also lets the ski release at the end of the arc, and you don't you want that ski gliding, otherwise you're pulling it and you wear out faster than yeah. if the ski's really gliding well. Yeah, I, I actually that just reminds me. So I, these Fisher skis that I had, they arrived in in Park City. I put them on, skied them, and something wasn't quite right, and I couldn't couldn't tell at first what it was, but I know I'd felt it before. When I looked at them, the structure to me, and this is what had happened in a pair of old skis, was too coarse and deep. And so when I, if, if all I wanted to do was fully arc it, fine, the ski tracked like very well. But if I tried to make a short turn, it was like ch -ch 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 chattering and I was crossing tips at times. And I mean, like, I don't think I've talked about that on any podcast with anyone, but maybe before you go can you speak to to structure and have you sort of experienced that and i think some people might not realize that could be actually making their skiing really difficult well the, the structure in the ski sometimes it's too aggressive for the snow conditions you're skiing so it just doesn't ski right and what you have to do is you've got to use some fiber tech or whatever to take that structure out of there and like you can do it on a uh, machine but you, you know, the, just the FiberTech pad would, would take a lot of that off and just make it smoother mm -hmm. and, and make that ski glide better. But, uh, you know, like <clears throat> that, um, the Chris Hillier and uh, Pierre Ruel, they have that sidecut.com and they have just unbelievable uh, tuning and waxing tutorials that are free. And boy, if anybody wants to just have a look at that stuff and, and get a little bit of an idea, those guys do an amazing job. And Darren Ralphs is on there too. But like, yeah, every time I go skiing, Tom, I, my skis are, they're perfect. And yeah. anybody else is skiing with me that their skis are done before I take them out and it makes such a difference. And it yeah, does. Like even the texture on the base can make a difference. So. You know, you got to just pay attention to the detail and the equipment is so good these days. Wow. You know, like you take every opportunity to, to have a successful ski, you know, versus a, a, a negative training effect. And uh, the, the more success, the more positive, then people really, really enjoy it. And especially what you're doing with all your podcasts and your tutorials and stuff like that. I mean, it's just terrific stuff. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I would, I would second that sidecut uh, tuning.com that I mean, the brilliantly made videos all free and their, their equipment is probably second to none really in terms of yeah. if you want to get your own stuff. And, and I think if you're into skiing, you should really learn to, to do that because you will, sure. you will keep your skis in good shape and you won't go, Oh, well, I don't have time to drop it at the, the tuning shop. You, you, can, you can just do it at your, at your own leisure so i would second that that's a really good resource god thank you so much for your time it's great to catch up yeah. i'll hopefully see you in canada next winter and and uh, i hope you enjoy these uh, last few weeks of your ski season yeah well thanks so thanks for having me on tom and uh you know you're you, you got a great program that you're running way you know, way to go and you are one terrific skier <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, you've been a great influence on me in both the, both skiing and coaching side. So that's why I wanted you on here for, for others to hear your, uh, hear your magic. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Gord Brown, for your time. And there closes out another Big Picture Skiing podcast episode. And if you're skiing in the Northern Hemisphere, you're about to be finishing up your winter. So I hope you're enjoying some spring skiing and making the most of the last bit of the season. I'm prepping for the Australian and New Zealand season right now and editing some more videos for the Big Picture Skiing site. So on that note, if you haven't been to check out bigpictureskiing.com, I invite you to go over there. I put everything from strength, mobility, equipment modifications, lessons on bumps, carving, everything. Things that pop into my mind that I think are gonna help you that have helped me in my career, I put on there. So you're getting it straight from the source. Thanks very much. Have a great day.
and I hope to see you out on the ski hill someday. Some of you may already know that I've been advising Carve and working with the team for some time now. And this year, the team has come up with probably some of the most exciting developments to date. They've been working on representing the most fun parts of skiing in their system. They've developed three brand new metrics, progressive edging, early weight transfer, and one that measures the G-force in a turn. And that one, I have to say, I got to try it out this winter in Australia, and that is really fun. This new addition is going to be incredible for anyone who's looking to really push their skiing up a notch. Now, what's even more interesting for this year is the system now detects what terrain you're on and pulls that into your ski IQ score. This is a huge change and a great upgrade because sometimes it would only really score well if you were skiing on perfectly groomed snow. Now it's going to accommodate and adjust whether you're skiing in steeper slopes, more chopped up snow or firmer snow. So this is a very big change that I think is massive kudos to the team to keep pushing and progressing the app even further. If you're the kind of skier that is looking for a tool to help push your technique that little bit further, then you should definitely check out what Carve can do. Use the code GELLIE15, that's G-E-L-L-I-E-1-5, to get 15% off for the next two weeks.